0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of After This, the greatest unification podcast on the entire internet by default and virtue. Uh, my name is Daniel. I am one of the regular co-hosts. Um, we don't have Shannon and Carla here with me today. It's um, New Year's in Australia and I'm sure they're like waking up maybe now or maybe in an hour or two. It's 10 a.m. here. Um, I have Saveda here who um, I met through, was it the CGS conference? Yes,
1: yeah. Um Mention.
0: Great, yeah. So it was the CGS conference, and we were speaking a bit through that. And um, she wanted to get to the YWF a bit more, and I want to know what she was doing. And basically, I got her on here so we can talk and find things out. And um, I will basically just hand it over to you to introduce yourself and your organizations and things like that. And feel free to ramble as much as you can, as much as you like, because I will just poke in with questions whenever I feel like it.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Daniel, for having me on. It's really a pleasure to be here. Um, no worries. So yeah, yes, my I'm Silveda. As Silveda, my last name is Ma'ani Ewing, and I have a very uh, complicated and interesting sort of history. Uh, so That's I'm actually, like an, uh, <laughs> actually an international lawyer by training and uh, initially by profession. I practiced mm-hmm. law for about 20 years at, at law firms and within the U.S. State Department uh, in the legal wow, okay, advisor's okay. office for several years. And it was while I was at the State Department that I was inspired to inspired to get involved with my, what has become my work for the past 18 years, working in the area of global governance and collective security. So what mm-hmm. I noticed when I was at the State Department was that um, the the world even back then, so in 2000, late in the late 90s and early 2000s, was faced with global challenges of different kinds. But what struck me was that our approach to solving these global challenges was a reactive one. And mm-hmm. it's what yeah. I called the cut and paste approach. So sort of very much like doing a corporate deal. If you've ever um, entered into negotiations with another company, what what you do at a law firm is you basically look at similar previous deals and you basically cut and paste to adjust and mm-hmm. modify. And we were taking the same approach. So it seemed to me um with with global challenges like okay when we've had this kind of problem in the past have we dealt with it and let's just apply mm-hmm. the same methodology and solution and maybe tweak it a little regardless of the fact that in the past these solutions clearly hadn't yielded the results we wanted very <laughs> right, often all okay. right so so, yeah. so the way I saw it very often we would have these fires the crisis of the day that would That would flare up and we were very intent on throwing bucketfuls of water over it to douse the flames without actually killing it so you always had these embers that were Mm. that were still hot waiting for the next wind of chance or opportunity to come and up came the flame again so so our old solutions never actually solve problems at root um band-aids they They were just a A symptomatic
0: solution you're not really treating any of the causes
1: exactly (laughs) um and and very often ironically our solutions also sowed the seeds of the next disaster um Mm. so uh, just just to give you an example um when when the soviets were in afghanistan we Mm. decided that we needed to get them out because that's what we perceived as our short-term interest so we so we um, armed the 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 mujahideen to go in, and, yep. and the mount. We succeeded in that short-term goal, but we sowed the seed of the next disaster, which was the Taliban, yeah. and then we needed to go get them. I out. love
0: making I love making the um the kind of really, uh, the really poorly aged reference. Have you seen Rambo Three? I
1: have <laughs> no. Yeah.
0: Rambo Three is all about Rambo going in and teaming up with the Mujahideen to basically oh. fight off the Russians and giving them weapons, and they're like freedom fighters and everything in that movie. And I'm like, wow, this has aged poorly. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's amazing. Well, thanks for that. I, we use that reference going. It's forward. a great,
0: terrible pop culture reference to exactly exemplify your point.
1: <laughs> it, it, this is it, and I'm all about providing examples that really hit home. So it was because of. Of, of, so, 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 my takeaway was that very few people either had the luxury of time or the inclination to think proactively about what our what kind of world we wanted to live in and what steps we needed to take to get from where we are to where we want to be. So, to bridge that gap. So, I took it upon myself. I thought, well, i'm I'm just one little old me, one person, but maybe I can do my bit for humanity, And that's when I started doing my work research and writing and consulting and and really started uh, giving a lot of talks and publishing works in this area and doing workshops and now branched off into podcasts and video casts and so on. So, so this, is, this is where my journey started. Then in 2002, mm-hmm. um, I decided to start this little uh, organization called the Center for Peace and Global Governance, which is really an online platform for pooling and proposing. And this is, these are the key words, principled solutions to global challenges. Because you know, mm-hmm. there are solutions, but as I said, the solutions we craft often conflict with each other, They're not based on a shared set of global ethics, which I think is a foundational platform from which we need to to launch all our solutions. Our institutions of global governance don't have a cohesive set of principles that uh, runs through them, that's woven into their fabric, and therefore they're not effective the way they should be. For instance, Mm -hmm. the United Nations, uh, and we're seeing it with the WHO during the pandemic, um and so
0: i think i think there's a big sort of resistance to um to acknowledging that there's a requirement for any kind of systemic change like Mm -hmm. it's it's like i just don't want to have to think about that that might be a factor i'm just going to keep applying little things little things little things and eventually the problem should hopefully go away and i won't have to acknowledge that the lack of structure is the problem in a lot of ways (laughs) that's
1: exactly right but you know i Mm. think I really believe that we're going to be forced to it. Mm. uh, We see already within this this one year that our social, political, environmental, economic and even religious systems are unraveling and unraveling Mm. very rapidly. And we see it not just in one part of the world, but absolutely everywhere. And as much as we'd like to stay in denial and put our heads in the sand, once they've completely collapsed, we won't have any alternative but to face the reality. You know, Arnold Toynbee, the famous 20th century historian, said something really interesting and actually relates to this whole topic of world, of, of the need for a world federation and global governance. He said, we have a really bad habit of being allergic to the idea of the need for systemic change, and particularly of the idea of creating some sort of global governance system. Mm -hmm. He said, good news is that it's just a bad habit. And habits can be modified and changed. And he Mm -hmm. says, usually, they're modified when we're push through it. You know, to me, it's like the smoker who's told for years by their doctor, you've got to give up smoking because it's bad for your health. But it's only when they finally get the diagnosis of, well, you've got emphysema or lung cancer when, you know, overnight they quit. And that's what Toynbee Mm. said. He said it would only be when humanity was faced with an existential threat of extinction that we would turn on a dime and actually create a system of global governance, kicking and screaming, but we would do it. <laughs> so, so yeah. yes, I it's totally. Because we're
0: always we're always trying to go for the easiest thing, right? It's like you wake up every day. It's like, what's the minimum I can do to make sure everything still functions and I'm okay. <laughs> Like, ah, you know, it's like as a person, like on a personal level, even we do that in a lot of ways. It's like, ah, look, you know, I don't need to get that today. I should really do some exercise. Ah, you know, 10 minutes is fine. You know, it's kind of like, it's just thing and thing and thing. And we do that on a systemic level, like as an entire civilization, because in so many ways, we're, we're just, we're just a person on a bigger level. We don't want to have to do the really hard thing if we don't absolutely have to, um, yeah, I, I, really, I really hope that whatever the kickover thing isn't something permanent um, and that it's something that we can fix and reverse or whatever it is. I mean, who knows how bad things have to get before we hit our... Flipping switch.
1: Well, that's the thing. How much will we have to suffer before we say enough is enough? And you know, it's mm. so interesting that the point you made that I want to loop on is, is a really important one that just as in our individual lives, we have certain ways of thinking, certain what I call mindsets that lead to certain dysfunctional habits. Um, once by flipping and changing the mindsets or just even shifting and mildly adjusting them, we res- we can then adopt new, more constructive, empowering habits. So, too, as a collective whole, we do exactly the same thing. And it was because of my belief in this and my belief that actually it's got to be the starting point. Because, look, you can give human beings the best laid plans you know there's someone who needs to diet you can tell them exactly these are the foods to eat this is the exercise you need to do to be healthy but Mm -hmm. if they're not motivated they won't do it so the question that comes, what do we need to do collectively also to motivate ourselves in order to take the steps that will get us to a better world, a more peaceful world, a more secure world? And it was because I really thought this was important that I actually have just written a book that was released, it's uh, being released, well, it's already released your time in Australia, January 1st, twenty one, <laughs> called... the. Okay. Out- the alchemy of peace and it's all about six essential shifts and mindsets and habits that we collectively need to take in hmm. order to take us to the next step uh, and oh, okay, cool. what are the old mindsets and what are the old habits and then what are the new proposed mindsets and what new habits do they lead to including the habit of creating a system of global governance fit for purpose for the 21st century and beyond
0: yeah so. no absolutely i um I find because I professionally i'm I'm a salesman. so the thing is like my whole thing is like selling to company owners and things like that. So I deal with fairly large companies usually. but one of the things that I've noticed, and it's what I've been trying to introduce to this movement in general, is, um, and I, I say this in a lot of the conversations I have with people because I find it's a lot of people who are very academic um, and they don't really understand the process of convincing a normal person to do something. Um, Whereas what it really is a lot of the time is you really need to spend a lot of time getting them excited about this end point. So the thing is, you know, when you're selling someone anything, it's almost irrelevant what the thing is or what the cost is initially. What you're trying to sell them is the end result of if they had it, this is what your life would be like. This is what you'd be doing. Um, And then it's like, oh, that sounds great. And then you work backwards and say, okay, here's all the boring, annoying crap you have to do to get to that result. Yep. And that's what I try and do, and that's what the whole YWF is sort of about, is is trying to get people excited about the endpoint and then sort of like creating this streamlined explanation of how we might be able to get there and making it very understandable. So we got so we have all these regular people joining, you know, because that's obviously the biggest problem that this movement has is that you know, if it comes purely down to academic arguments, we'd probably destroy everything because we're really good at those. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> but, but the thing is, it's just, it's our ability to convince normal people with material and media and ex- simple explanations, um, you know, talking about the things that they care about, um, getting to that end point again, like saying, this is what it would be like. And then they're like, You know, that sounds amazing. I'm really excited about this endpoint that you're talking about. Say, well, we gotta do this and this and this to get there, but you know, it seems worth it, right? And they're like, Yeah, absolutely. So we're selling world federalism as an endpoint. Um and then yeah, trying to help the other organizations which have a much better understanding of how to get there and what the processes are, um, to sort of I don't know, streamline their explanations as well. So I mean, that's what the whole movement needs, right? It, ne- it needs this more public face because at the moment we're, we're really good, again, at convincing really educated people who want to sit down and read 10 things um, and, and listen to long explanations and stuff. But, I mean, you only really make change when you've got the vast majority of the public who are only ever going to be interested for like five minutes.
2: Yep,
0: yep. <laughs> um. I remember. I remember. I wrote an email to a guy once who I was trying to get him to do something, and um, I was. I'd called him, and it seemed really obvious to me. He didn't have much time to do anything, and I sent him basically a um, uh, a one line email, um, and he he was just surprised that I hadn't really explained anything in the email. And he's like, "Well, yeah, you, you got to tell me all this other stuff." I'm like, "Well, if I sent you." three lines, you're not going to read it. So I'm going to send you one line, and then you have to call me and talk to me. And he's like, you've done this before. <laughs> right. Right. And it's just it's just, you realize how little time and attention people have, right? And that's what, that's what a lot of this material, I think, comes down to is, like, we have to make our point really quickly yep. and really succinctly. And yep. um, videos are great for that. So um, I think the way that you speak about it and everything, I, th- I think you understand that. Cause you seem to understand that you're trying to explain these very complicated concepts in very simple terms, if you can do it. And obviously you've done a lot of speaking gigs. So the thing is you get, you get that. Yeah. Um, like you said um you, you have experience with that world of like you were saying, cor- like selling things through um, doing corporate deals and things like that. You understand how human people can be in these incredibly, seemingly ornate fantastic elaborate institutions and it's like a lot of words around it and it sounds really nice but really there's some person in there and they're just people right and they're going to be having all the same foibles as anyone else and you gotta you gotta nail in and get them on their level um so yeah no it's really it's really good to hear the way you speak about this stuff
1: oh, thanks no i totally i totally agree with you that that you start with inspiration you start by inspiring people with a vision mm. And to explain to it, yeah. <laughs> emotionally connect with the mm. why. Not the how, but the why. Why are we aiming at this end result? What is where is this vision going to take us? What is it going to do for us? How am I going to feel when I get there? Mm. Once people are vested in the why, then as you say, you can go to the, the exactly what and then the that the how. And those are the details. But by then, people are already be being, being, the magnet that pulls them is the why. And you're mm. experimenting with this whole idea. You mentioned videos, and I concluded exactly what you have, that A, people have short attention spans, that we need to be able to reach the average person on the street, right? Not talk in mm. academic language. And so I, I, I recently launched this weekly 20-minute um, program called Reimagining the World, in which mm. I, I take a topic uh, that has to do with with, you know, what could we do to uh, to create a different world? First of all, let's imagine what that might be, and then what would it take to get us there. But it's really more inspirational than anything, and mm. already, I've had really good responses to it. So as I said, it started as an experiment, but it's been fascinating to watch. You know, people all sorts of people getting in touch, saying, "You know, I want to be on this too. I want to be on it," and it's mm. live. So people can yeah. interact, and they feel also vested in the process because they can they can offer comments and questions. Um, so yeah, that, mm. I, that's the way of the future is to really get get people invite people to these large conversations. It's all about that, dialogue and consultation.
0: That might make really good podcast episodes. Actually, like get you, like mm-hmm. if you find certain ones are really. Um, certain ones make really good points. Like you could come on and I could grab my regular co-hosts and we could sort of ask you about it and the way that you went through it and things like that. Because hitting like these topics in these sort of succinct ways, because when people scroll through podcasts and stuff, they look for the ones that, you know, are topics that they're interested in. So if you have these succinct questions, it's like this one deals with this little thing, then people might, you know, engage with that more easily than... At the moment, I think we're at like 71 episodes. So it's really... It's really hard for people, I think, to just go through the whole thing and find yeah. the thing that they like.
1: Congratulations! Wonderful.
0: I, it's, it's remarkable. We were reflecting on this, I think, um, a month ago, that we'd been doing it for a year. And, and we're like, wow, we've been doing this consistently. It's it's. Um, I think we missed a couple of weeks, but yeah. not many, actually. It's been pretty good. So, most of them are me and the two, fr- two friends I have in Melbourne. Um, who is my friend Shannon, another friend of mine, Carla. And we basically just talked about all kinds of topics. But I've been trying to get more guests on as well now. Nice. Um, and obviously, you are one of my esteemed guests. Oh, okay. um, so <laughs> what I thought I might do is I have these like general questions that I've sort of been asking everyone that I've been getting on the show. Okay. And um, you, I think you might have interesting answers. Like some people spend a really long time working out what they want to say. But I feel like you might have a lot of ready-to-go answers for some of these, which is good. Um, so, uh, which one am I going to pick on you first with, um, okay. So historically, I, I like this one. So historically in all the organizations that you've worked with and all the things you've seen to do with the world federalist movement, has there been anything in particular that any, any movement or any sub movement or whatever has done that seems to have had a really good effect? in terms of um, growing the movement or having a really positive impact that you would like to see continued or brought back that doesn't happen anymore or something like that?
1: <clears throat> mm, that's a really good question.
0: Because coming, so while you think, I'll just explain briefly as well. I don't, I don't, I hope I don't throw you off by explaining, but (laughs) (laughs) basically me and a lot of the other YWF people are pretty new to the movement proper. Like we've always thought about this stuff, but we haven't been in the movement properly. And so to us, it's like, what has worked that maybe they just stopped doing and we should really be trying to focus on again because it worked for X, Y, and Z, um, if you can't think of anything, that's fine. I have a lot of other questions that I can throw at you. So one
1: one thing jumps to mind. Um, so I'll actually share two thoughts. Um, yeah, one, no, sure. one is to incorporate that the topic of why world federalism is so critical uh, as a means to solving our current global challenges um, in. In the context of debates that take place in high schools, because that's where you really get people engaged, right? When people who are in high school are still not vested in a career and they're not thinking in linear fashion and and thinking about the bottom line and responsibility they're still very open and in the mode of exploration so i think planting the seed or creating the environment in which they can explore these topics and be persuaded and and get them to engage and think and to think about the pros and cons so i Mm. think that is a critical um and we need to be able to address people's objections. Um, you know, really get into the minds of people. And why are they so reticent? What you know, people do have an, as as Toynbee said, an allergic almost reaction to the idea of of a world govern, government or world. Mm or global governance, right? Why is that? And then actually address their concerns. So Mm. it's something that I think has not been done. I think maybe in the forties, late 40s and 50s, we started doing that a little bit and then stopped doing it. And it's one of the things that, so it's one of the things that through the, the Center for Peace and Global Governance, CPGG, it's the lines of action that we're, we're going to be focusing on this year, sort of addressing objections uh, to, to, to global governance. Mm. The second thing, and this is really something for, for governments to do, and it's kind of an inspiration. So I don't know if you're aware, but it's something I actually written about in this new book because I think it's inspirational. and We need to look at models of things that have been done successfully in order to... Um, uh, encourage ourselves that things are possible because very often when we yeah, give <laughs> suggestions, people's first people who have become jaded and cynical automatically say, "Ah, no, that you know, that's never going to happen. That's not possible." But mm. if you demonstrate that it's been done successfully before, then there's hope, right? Oh, well, we did it once. Why not do it again? So mm. the example is this. I I don't know if you're aware that in the run-up to the San Francisco conference for the creation of the United Nations in 1945, the united states government which was very active in creating this new organization namely the un uh, yep. realized it conducted a poll and realized that most of the people in this country were not in favor of some critical things including the need for a an international standing force or standing police force to stand okay. in the place of of you know tyrants like another hitler mm. right So how do you avoid, how do you kind of nip something like that in the bud the next time you have a ruler like that um, who is going to commit Mm. genocide on a mass scale? So they realized that they couldn't go to this conference and sign on to this charter with a provision for an international standing force if the people of their country weren't behind them, right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So the State Department, Uh, uh. get this, uh, uh, unbelievable, the State Department started a six month intensive program of educating US public opinion. And they did this in a fascinating way. They basically came at it at er- from every angle. They contacted business leaders. They got in touch with academics and lecturers. They uh, they got into uh, radio programs. They had Hollywood make uh, a documentary. They they uh, they the uh, they enlisted religious leaders. They talked to people in churches and and, and uh, just newspapers, women's magazines, and just blanketed the country essentially with information like. And it was very open, transparent information, like, this is why we think we need this. You know, if we don't have something like this, this is the trajectory in which the world is likely to end up, you know, another, a third world war with, with with another Hitler and so on. And if we do it, here are the advantages. So the pros and the cons just mm. out there. So then when they did the next poll, the numbers had totally flipped. lot. Large- yeah, okay. Of people in this country were on board and completely, solidly behind their government in 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 creating this organization, including this uh, this concept of collective security and an international standing force.
0: Mm. I think
1: That fascinating, all right? So yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: History. It's
0: quite and different to now.
1: <laughs> people know or remember that such a thing was done, and mm. so to me it's one of the things it really gets my juices flowing when i realize that we can Mm. do now we don't have to wait in in the internet age we don't have to even wait for governments to do that because we now have access to so many of these sources including as you say the podcasts the video casts and and all these uh student populations you know movements within universities and colleges Mm, So I think if we come up with a systematic plan for blanketing and educating, basically, public opinion and infusing people with this vision and this inspiring vision of where we could be, we could get ourselves there.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about um, the when you talk about like what they're aware of when they're in school and 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 like high school and primary school and things like that but like they're especially in high school i know my experience and the experience of a lot of people that i know who are involved in the ywf especially is they sort of grew up on a diet of tv shows movies and video games where world unification or world federation or things like that were kind of uh, assumed to be the future. Like it had already happened, and then something else was going on after. So uh, you I'm sure you've heard of it. One of the biggest video game franchises of all time is Halo. Yeah, and Halo, the whole premise of that is it's it's all about Earth as united and they're fighting off aliens. And so basically, everyone grew with this this context of like, oh, this is all the fascinating stuff we'll be doing if we were working together. Whereas right now we're just doing whatever we're doing. And um, every, almost everyone that I've really spoken to in the YWF has played that game or something like it. And it really informed the way that they saw reality. Um, and I grew up on Star Trek and everything else as yeah. well. But like, that seems to be where a lot of us come from. This is this like popular understanding without the academic backing. But then as we got older, we looked into the academic side Right. And we got more involved with it. And I think that's out in the world, and we've sort of noticed it with the way that we've prospected for people with the YWF, is that I would easily guess that there is a few hundred thousand people who already completely agree mm-hmm. with everything that we're saying and have no idea we exist. Right. Like that and that's um that's the main kind of person we get on the discord and reddit and everything is basically people popping up saying i've always thought this no one ever talks about it i'm astounded to find a big community and i'm really happy to find a big community that says the same thing and a lot of them come from that same place of like tv shows and video games and they've always thought about it but no one was talking about it so they never really did anything um and I've always thought the first thing we should do is just try and market as widely as possible a community that everyone can join. So obviously the discord now Reddit pages. So I don't know if you used Reddit at all, but we have um, one with 5,000. Yeah. So So, um, we're trying to attract people to these because they're easy to join, easy to get involved. Um, And yeah, there's, I think if you got to the point where you got all those people who already agree and already think this is the best thing to do, you'd already have an easy couple of hundred thousand people um, globally. And then the thing is from that core that already thinks it's a good idea, it's so much easier to organize chapters and expand from that core. So a big part of the strategy so far has basically just been saying, we're not trying to convince people really. We're just trying to fish those people out of the wilderness because yeah. once we have that core, we'll have chapters all over the world. I mean, we're already building them. The thing is we've got little chapters all over the place. One of the funniest um the funniest coincidences we found was two pretty active people um, who were in our discord and talking quite a lot. and we were trying to figure out where everyone was to build to see if we could build some chapters. And these two guys were in Kansas City, and yeah. they didn't know each other. <laughs> and they were about a block and a half away from each other. <laughs> and I think they went I can't remember if they went to the same school or they these two rival schools or something right near each other. But like it was just it was just hilarious. We were sort of realizing, oh, maybe Kansas City is our new capital, like our flagship <laughs> chapter or something. <laughs> we yeah, and um it's just we've got people scattered all over the place. And I guess that leads me on to my other point that The importance of actual communities themselves being online um, rather than just being in the real world and communicating online like via email or calls or whatever it is. But physically having the community online where everyone can talk all the time through their computers means that you can get all the people that aren't in places where chapters are. Like a good example was someone who wanted to be active and wanted to join in, but he was like in some village or some small town in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. and it's like, who would he join? Like 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 if he had to join an existing organization, like where what would you even do? And so the instinct in that case is, I don't know what to do. I'm not going to worry about it because I'm not sure. And that's what most people would do. like it, if it's too much work at the beginning, they'd just abandon it. Mm-hmm. Um, so by making an online community you mean you basically make it so that wherever you are whatever yeah. situation you're in you can jump on and talk to people and get involved and I think we hadn't that didn't really seem to exist and that's why we built the discord and the reddit pages and things because we're trying to make it so that it's as easy as possible for everyone to sort oh,
1: of find you yeah now that's an excellent yeah. idea because all human beings really like accompaniment right
0: mm. You yeah. so it's, it's, and it's, 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 I like bringing up the example as well of, and I hate this example, but I also love it, is Flat Earth. <laughs> so look, Flat Earth is a terrible idea, obviously. But the thing is, they've somehow managed to create a community that can sustain and get together and talk to each other and doesn't seem to really die. And I think a big part of it um, is because they're, like a com- they're a social community as mm-hmm. well. So the thing yes. is... They're all pretty nuts, but the thing is they'll get together and talk to each other and they're kind of friends, right? And then once you're friends, it's so much more than just an ideological agreement.
1: Exactly.
0: And that's what we're trying to build with these online communities is we get to the point where people talk to each other so much that they're becoming friends. Like it's like a social community as well. And then once you've sort of ticked that box, it's so much less likely that it'll just dissolve as soon as things aren't happening, because people will still want to get involved and do things, and that'll give it energy and sticking right. power. Um, well, we, we've been talking a lot, and we've only gone through like two questions. I have like ten, <laughs> so okay. I might have to get you back for round two. I don't know. Um, all right. So my my next question, and I love—I've asked every guest this, and I love this question—is okay. basically. Um, it might take you a second to answer, which is fine. Um stumped it stumped WFM Japan for a little bit, which was good. <laughs> um, so um if you had absolute control, so like you were empress of all the WFM organizations, all the supporters, everyone on earth who like was was in all the WFM subsidiaries, everything else, um, and you had absolute control of all of them for twenty four hours uh what would you make them do like what 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 thing would you do first that you just wish you could get them to all do
1: a really good question
0: so my i'll I'll answer my version first if if it helps you um so this is the thing i've been hammering on about like for years since i even started learning this existed it's basically to get everyone to sign on to a common front end for the whole world federalist movement. Um, so every single organization, because historically what seems to have divided everyone is that they have different methodologies about how they think it's going to happen mm. or how they think they should get there. So like, we don't want to waste our time pursuing that one. We want to do our one or whatever it is. Right. But the problem is there's, there's two different things going on. There's there's the, the how we get there, which is... You know, a, methodolo- a methodological sort of thing, and then there's how do we get people to give a crap about what we're trying to do? And so everyone's doing both of those things at once, and the how we get there changes a lot. The getting people to give a crap, everyone's trying to do the same thing, and they're basically doing it in the same way. Like I look at I look at all the websites popping up. I look at all the videos that people make individually for their own little brands. And it's very over it's so much overlap on that end. Like everyone's making the same points, trying to make them in the same way, talking about the same things, and but the the lack of sort of common common resources, I guess, or common effort is meaning that you've got like one little video here, one little one there, ten random websites that all are kind of okay, but all say sort of the same thing. Um, and it's a real mess. Like in terms of making a global movement, if you compare it to something like Extinction Rebellion, as, as an example, um, if, if Extinction Rebellion London does something, Extinction Rebellion Sydney can share it on their Facebook page. And it's really obvious that it's the same organization. They're doing the same things. They're working on the same stuff. The logo is very similar. It just has different colors. Um, it's, as a lay person looking on social media, I very quickly put together that there is a big global movement and there's opportunities and there's things to be a part of and stuff like that. We don't have any of that in Mm -hmm. the world for us organizations because we're so fixated on the methodology side. So what I'd want is for everyone to create one common front Mm -hmm. with a common logo and a common naming convention and stuff like that so that we can publicize ourselves and then make a bunch of different teams or something for pursuing methodologies because people have passions of different ones. So that's that's what I would do if I could click my fingers and do it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's an excellent idea. So, you know, I would I kind of break it down. So in addition to the common front, which is, is sort of the whole marketing aspect, the common front. Yeah, the- exactly creating a shared vision of the future we want, right? Focusing on that mm-hmm. because there has to be, while the how we get to, we have to identify the mountaintop. This is where we want to end up, right? There may be different paths for getting there, but this is the mountaintops, so have the shared vision. Um, and then I think the second thing that's really critical is to be willing to come to agreement on like three top priorities that we can all agree on. Mm-hmm. A- so, so y- you want to do two things on the one hand, in order not to dissipate um, energies when you have very few resources, you want to have certain like a two or three priority goals that everyone's going to work on, say, for the next year or two um, mm-hmm. so that we can really give these efforts a boost and actually get somewhere while balancing that with, as you pointed out, the need for people to 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 take personal initiative and to to do things that really mean something to them. So those things can be done at the grassroots or within chapters or within countries or regions while everybody else is putting a lot of their focus on these say two or three priority goals that that we all embrace. So yeah mm. I think that that would be that's crucial. Because then people feel that they're all part of a common movement with a common mm-hmm. purpose and a common destination and a common vision. Um, yeah. And they're also able to to be unified in diversity by also, so so there may be more um, a, a openness in different parts of the world to doing different things at the grassroots. So some things that might fly in one part of the world might, might not fly so well in another. Um, but mm. that could be left left up to the local chapters to undertake their own initiatives in that regard. And then they could inform, um, you'd you need to have an excellent system of communicating everything that's being done to everybody who's involved in the movement. So again, through that mm. front that you talked about, so that people can be inspired by what somebody, say, in a village in, in Botswana is doing, or in Argentina, um, and say, hey, I think that'll work here, while also... Mm. Recognizing that, oh, we also have these three big goals to focus on for the next whatever mm-hmm. it is, a five-year plan or a three-year plan or whatever.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. I, think, I think we're trying to build the facilitation of like at least the internal communication channel through the Discord is mm-hmm. hopefully um, what we want to see is, is people becoming very quickly aware of what everyone else is doing. Because um, that through that they can post things like I'm we're working on this, and then instantly everyone else in the movement sees it, uh, from casual members to you know their members. It's not just their newsletter recipients. It's not just their thing or whatever. Um, it's it should be everyone more or less, and the information should get to the right people. And it's a, it's a good point you made about the chapters as well, because one of the things I, I'd like to see eventually happen is some kind of common chapter system. So like mm-hmm. all the world federalists organizations should yes. share like common chapters so there should there shouldn't be three different ones and and it's the same Agreed. city for instance yeah. it should it just be
1: resources yeah.
0: yeah yeah and i think we we end up really all over the place and diminishing so we already have so few resources and then we're cutting them apart even more like it's just i think there's so many areas where we're on exactly the same page we can sort of separate those from the parts where we're not on the same page mm-hmm. I, and it's a good point you made about the ending as well, because I think we sell more or less the same ending. Yeah. Um, every time I hear people talk about the end result and the benefits and what it should look like and stuff like that, they're all saying more or less the same thing. So it's like a solid image of the end and how and why you should be excited is kind of the part where we're cooperating. It's just yeah. that methodology part. And as we said at the very beginning, that's the last thing people care about, yeah. like They they want to know why they care, what it is, why it's exciting, and then once they're excited, you've done all that cool stuff. Then you tell people the methodology. It's it's the end.
1: (laughs) And you know, even with methodologies, we all need to have a a good dose of humility because nobody actually knows for sure that any one methodology will work, right? So it's good to have a whole range of methodologies as options and experiment with different ones and then be sort of have this posture of learning and openness and, and to be able to reflect and say, well, how well has this worked so far? If it hasn't worked, maybe we scrap it or maybe we modify and tweak it or, you know, come up with something completely new. But mm. being attached to methodologies, I think, is is a is a, a, a misinformed way of, of of going and we just get in our own way.
0: So, yeah. yeah. No, I think so as well. Um, I guess this is kind of the flip side of the same coin, but I, I like asking this question because sometimes people have interesting things to say, um, which is what would you say sort of the other side of, of what's been working? What would you say hasn't been working? Like like what, what have you seen been done or focused on or put, have effort put into? And you don't think anything really positive is coming from it. So it's not worth continuing or something like that.
1: <clears throat>
0: i like hard questions <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you
1: know i so you know so the, the truth is i have been so i i'm very creative by nature and um i guess i my whole approach has been I see a whole bunch of things just not happening and so I jump into the breach and say okay this is not happening and I think it would be really exciting and it would energize people so I do that as opposed to spending a lot of time reflecting on what other people have done that really hasn't worked so well because I just I guess I just naturally just don't replicate stuff so so I now need to
0: uh, it, it, I think it's only really an issue when something isn't working, but then people don't let it go. Yeah, and then then you're in this phase where you're trying to convince them it's not worth pursuing right. that. But this part's working or something. So
1: so I'll tell you one thing. So living in Washington, D.C., which is a a very um, elitist in some sense, um, a community. One Mm. of the things I've seen, and I've seen this happen with the uh, United Nations Association, and and I've seen this in the past with world federalist movements. Everything becomes hierarchical and it becomes a fight Mm. over turf. And, and okay. these structures, these outworn structures we have of, you know, the annual conference and everything, so much energy goes into a single in-person annual conference, right? But then all yeah. year round, not very much happens. And you're not So there's not
0: much to talk about excited. at the conference.
1: So there's, yeah, and, <laughs> and getting people excited and moving. Now, what's what's fascinating to me, I think this pandemic has been a crash course for all of us in many different ways I mean our world has been turned upside down but but the upside is that it's afforded us so many amazing opportunities to rethink how we've done things and to learn new ways not necessarily because we wanted to but because we've been forced into it so mm. I'll give you an example um so even with with the UN so they they've got a pretty sophisticated um, system in place for getting dialogues going and so on. But still, it's been very hierarchical and has has shut out a lot of people. Now, this year, mm-hmm. pandemic here was the first time when the, the conversations about UN reform really broadened, partly thanks to the UN Secretary General, who... Uh, created a system in which he asked people, individuals all over the world to fill out surveys and tell the UN what it was they thought that the UN should be focusing on and how it it could change. But Mm. apart from that, they still had these meetings. And I was really stunned to see I participated in two meetings 24 hours apart from each other. One was the one organized by the UN, and it was funny to see how excited people were because more NGOs and more people participated in it than ever before. Why? Because we were all on Zoom. And so the villages, again, in Africa and South America and in Asia, who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford the money to fly and come over and stay at hotels or just the barriers to entry, you know, who you know, and who, you know, mm. whose list you get on, they wouldn't be able to participate. All of a sudden had a voice. Despite mm. that, we had, what, 2,000 and some people a- a- and-, and communities participating. So 24 mm. hours later, I participated in a different event that was hosted by some, some new NGO on the block, and they had 200,000 people participating, right? Mm. It was absolutely astounding between... Mm on the various platforms between facebook and youtube and 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 zoom and so on and they had really interest and, and it was multi-generational you had young people you had people my age you had older folks you had professionals you had non-professionals the voice of the young was very loudly to be heard um you had a lot of ethnic and racial diversity and it was just amazing you know with mm. a of the resources So, but because they they put aside that old model of, you know, we're just going to do things once a year and they're creating a movement, right? So, Mm. that's...
0: I mean, that's not how, like, movements... I don't think that's how modern movements work anymore. Like, I don't know. I feel like that can kind of work maybe if you have a lot of resources and you have the right people representing the right groups, you're coming together to to figure out what to do with these massive amounts of resources or something. And like, you need to really sit down and think about it and, and talk to each other and work out the important decisions. Whereas I don't find this movement has anywhere near enough resources to have that kind of structure. I think the kind of stuff they have available and the kind of people and the kind of money, it needs to be a far more fluid structure like, and I mean, again, that's that's why we have the systems that we've been trying to put in and get everyone on because it means that the conversation and and the planning process and what we're doing with what is constant. Like every single day you log on to Discord and a bunch of people have said a bunch of different stuff about a bunch of different plans, had a bunch of different ideas, and everyone's... To, throwing little bits and pieces in all the time and you're sort of building things all the time. You know, it's not something that you don't think about for months at a time. You get an email and you go, that's interesting. And then the next day, and then you're at a meeting and they're like, okay, so what's happened? And everyone's like, not much. (laughs) I mean, a lot of the meetings I've been on that's pretty much the summary almost. It's like a little bit's happened, but meaningfully, not a lot has happened. Um, and I think that's a product of people living their own lives, essentially, and turning up occasionally to agree that this still needs to happen. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think I think the fluid, constant communication method um, is what we need to be doing. Um, it's not really helping us at all to have these isolated things, especially if you're in Australia, right, or something like that. Is it's it's going to cost me 1500 dollars or something to to fly over to where you guys are, yep. and like it's just prohibitive a lot of the time. Exactly. Whereas if you're in the states, you can pretty easily get to wherever it is, or if even if you're in Europe, technically you might be able to, but it's it's very quickly becomes unfeasible for other parts of the world. And the thing is. Like, one of our members who's fairly active is in the Philippines. And the thing is, I know the average Philippine wage is quite a bit lower than it is in Australia. And so the thing is, you'd expect the same thing for him to be able to fly and pay the same money to fly to you guys. It's just, you're just creating a little bubble, effectively, of, like, who can and can't come. Uh, I was complaining about this with um, the Democracy Global girls, so Camilla and... um, Amelia, and they were saying the same thing. It's like, oh, you know what it's like to be on the edge of the universe sort of thing. (laughs) We can't come to anything because it costs too much.
1: And and we we really lose out when we don't hear all these voices that Mm. should be participating in the conversation. But, you know, one of the challenges, Daniel, is while you have what you call fluidity and constant conversation, there is mm. a danger of things just constantly uh, it just uh, beginning and ending in conversation. That's so true. Yeah. The trick, the the and the difficulty, and I think this is why it's been a challenge, and nobody has has been completely successful at it so far, is mm. to figure out how you maintain systematicity that actually builds toward something, a, mm. a, a goal that is tangible. So that you're not just having conversation for the sake of conversation, right? Conversation is there to raise consciousness and awareness so that we then act. But that action is, that's why I was thinking of creating two or three like top priorities that can galvanize everyone. We can all come together and act and Mm. set. We need to have benchmarks and ways of measuring our progress and success. I think that's really important.
0: i am going to forget this if I don't mention it. Uh, just, just on that point, you said about talking about it because if I don't say it, I'm gonna forget that I thought about it. And it's yeah. interesting. <laughs> um, it's, I think it was on a book called Ego, but yeah. I don't remember if it was that book or another one. So I can't actually say it was a few years ago. I read this, but um, it was all about talking about things, tricking you into thinking you're actually doing something. And it was, and it was about this guy. And he said this is a common issue that people have is that what they'll do is they'll sit down with their friends and colleagues or whoever it is and they will talk about stuff. And they will talk about it so much and exhaust themselves from talking about it that they'll go home and feel like they did something yep. and nothing has occurred. And then they'll come back and talk about it again and trick themselves again. And it will just be a cycle yep. uh, where you won't ever do anything because you talk about it and feel like you have. And there was this guy in – it was in America – and I, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, I, I can't remember exactly, but he was running for mayor or something of a, a city or a town, and what he did was he wrote a book about what it was going to be like if he did win that election, like what was going to happen in the city or in the town, and what it was going to change, and like as if it was two years hence, and he was talking about it in retrospect, and apparently it was really popular. And everyone read it and was really happy with some of the stuff that he said. And it was like, this sounds really cool. I really like what, you, what you're what you talking about. And after he wrote the book and and put it out and everyone liked it, he says, actually, I've kind of done the part I wanted. Like, he apparently, <laughs> writing about it, kind yeah. of got it out of his system. And that's all he really wanted to do. He, now he didn't really want to have to go through the hard part of doing it. Because yeah. he'd sort of had the satisfaction of feeling like he'd done it. Yeah. Um, and so they were talking about this thing that is just getting into the talking trap uh, right. of the si- the simulated success of talking about something as if it's happened. And um, you see this yeah. very
1: much if you're, if, for those of your listeners who will one day hopefully become parents, you see this as a parent. You'll see mm. particular children have a propensity to talk and talk and talk, and then then mm-hmm. they feel like they're done, and they don't actually take action, right? Mm. And then you have other children who do first, and then come and share. and And the trick is to spot that early and to train mm. the young folks to uh, let let your your deeds be greater than your words, right? Do mm. first, and then talk about it later. Um, That's I a really
0: had- interesting point. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I had a teacher and I grew I, I grew up, I was raised initially in Nairobi, Kenya, which is where I was born. And my mm. fifth grade teacher was an American. Um, he was with the Peace Corps. And he always, whenever you came to him and said, oh, I'm thinking of, he'd cut you off and he'd say, don't talk about it, do it. And he mm. just, he just didn't want to hear about it. And that's yeah started training us you know i thought it was really interesting and it, of course it was extremely ag- aggravating at that
2: age <laughs> yep.
1: you're old and here's this teacher who just didn't want to hear it and was like don't talk about it do it
0: that's, that's good that- though yeah
1: done it yeah
0: yeah because i mean i know a lot of people like that like growing up like friends and stuff you'd get together and you'd be talking about all the stuff you want to do and then it's like yeah, and then nothing would really materialize, but they talk about it and not really do anything with it. And you can kind of see that in all kinds of places and all kinds of movements. It's just it just seems to be a human trait. Like we all do it and we can trick ourselves into it. It's it's just having that awareness that I guess your teacher would have given you, which is really really fascinating. I've never heard of a teacher doing that, but that actually sounds like a really good idea. Um this, just yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and it, it segues into one one of the one of the habits I talk about in, in in my book, The Alchemy of Peace, is the our habit of electing unfit leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Leaders who are, are are not up to the task of helping mm-hmm. humanity face the challenges of our time. We're seeing this in spades with with COVID nineteen and the economic recession and climate change and nuclear proliferation, all these huge mm-hmm. existential threats. Um, that um, uh, I, I've lost my train of, of Everything thought. Everything
0: kind of becomes a talking shop when people are trying to advertise themselves, right? And so it's like right. so, they so, just so, listen to the words, they sound good.
1: So I was thinking in terms of our leaders, so one of the problems we have is that this whole, the whole way, the method of of, of, of running for office, of elections, the whole mm. idea of campaigning, of electioneering, of standing on platforms and saying, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And we all know that we either expect our our politicians to lie to us or to not follow through on most of their promises. And we've kind of entered into this very weird bargain where we know that, and yet we vote for them and we elect them into Mm. office. And then we're constantly disappointed because they are either unable or unwilling to follow through or they're be so beholden to the moneyed interests that have paid for them to get into office that they can't actually fulfill the promises they wanted to because now they have to fulfill other promises. And so Mm -hmm. this is like one of those really poor dysfunctional habits we have in all parts of the world. And we need to just get past it. But it's tied to this Mm -hmm. exact phenomenon that, you know, once they once they're done talking, 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 they're done. That's it. They don't ever have to follow through. And we don't hold their feet to the fire. We Mm -hmm. don't say, hey, wait a minute. You said you were going to do this. And we absolutely expect you to do this. Right. We Mm -hmm. just say, oh, well, that's just the way the whole system is. Well, yeah, yeah, look at where it's getting us. Look at how much suffering is occurring in the world because of the broken systems that we've just bought into and stuck in our heads in the sand over. So what will it take? What mindsets need to shift? And what is the new habit that we replace it in? What does it mean to learn to elect fit leaders? What is the definition of a fit leader? What are the qualities and motivations that we look for? These are all really important topics that we also need to be... Talking about that, as I say, tie into exactly this phenomenon that that we've been talking about.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think we've as a problem with that. Like the problem that we've seen with that is that um, we overinvest and overestimate, I suppose, the scope and ability for individuals to change what's going on. Um, you know, where you look at it and go, okay, look, if we just pick the right president. All the problems will go away, sort of thing. And rather than thinking of it like every single president we put in or prime minister, or whatever it is, they're all going to be beholden to the same problems and the same systems and the same situations, and they're all going to be, you know, responding to the same pressures, and they're going to have to make more or less a lot of similar decisions. Um, and Unless yeah, we so, the
1: system, Unless exactly. So that's the, the, the thing is,
0: like, the thinking needs to be less about the turkey per- person talking about themselves and what their platform is and more about the systemic issues that we have and i just yeah i would we, we just need to bring more attention to the fact that most of our problems are systemic rather than this particular politician is crap because of x and y and it'll all get fixed and we replace him with that guy instead
1: although you know the, the two have to go hand in hand because you can oh, of yeah. the most brilliant <laughs> system of governance yeah but if it- peopled by by human beings who are corrupt or mm. uh, narcissistic or dishonest, it, it, it's not going to work. So you have to, mm. you have to pay attention to both ends. I don't think you can say most of our problems are systemic or most mm. of our problems mm. have to do with, with flawed characters. It's both. And we have to start opening our eyes and tackling them at both ends.
0: Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. No, I, I think it's purely just the fact that we've ignored one completely oh. and yeah um anyway that has been a really fun hour so <laughs> thank you for it coming has. on Surveyor. i'm definitely gonna have to get you back to talk about more stuff because you're good at talking which is always helpful on a podcast
1: i, I like to <laughs> I <can't laughs> stop there and not do anything so <laughs>
0: yeah yeah no absolutely you don't fall into the trap um no that's that's very healthy i'm glad Um, Anyway, so thank you very much for coming on. Um, I'll remember and try and figure out where I can put you on another one because I'm always gathering groups of guests to talk about different topics and stuff. Um, So do email me if there's anything in particular that you want to talk about or something, um, and then we'll just go from there. Um, But jump on the Discord. Definitely jump on.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. And, yes, I look forward to jumping on the Discord and getting to know more of you out there who are Young World Federalists or young. Federalists in the making.
0: (laughs) We have all the old ones on there too, which is good.
1: Great. Wonderful. Um, So thank you very
0: much. And um, I look forward to talking to you more.
1: Okay. Take care. Happy New Year. See
0: you later. Bye.
1: Bye.